0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 10, short passage in Luke chapter 10. I've never really had a chance yet to talk to the church since uh, we've uh, been here. We've been here for about uh, three or four weeks now. We revisited a bit in January, but we're very excited to be here and just to see how God worked things out. In our lives and just how he led and directed and gave, uh, both Amanda and I clarity to be here. We're just absolutely excited to, uh, meet you guys and to serve here and to see what, uh, God has planned for this church in these exciting times. And one of the things I was very excited about when we were visiting the church was the theme of the year. And as we came, uh, for that special Sunday and we saw the theme, um, we knew God was leading here, but that kind of, um, this topped it off, and I was just really impressed to see the, how the church responded and things like that. And I'm excited for that, for the theme of unity of the fellowship. And it's such an important thing to have within the church, is fellowship that most importantly revolves around Jesus Christ and that he is the core of that fellowship, like I mentioned a moment ago. You know, I'm excited to serve with Pastor Alcock. And definitely, as knowing him over the years, he's someone who cares? I met him when I worked at camp when I was in college, and um, he just showed interest in whoever he was working with. Even though I was just a college student, he uh, he showed care in me, and he taught me things. It's actually funny. When I was at camp, yes, I was just a city boy, and I was at camp, and they were just teaching me how to light the fire. And they're like, yeah, just grab some gas, throw it on the fire, and um, that's how you light it up. And um, I was there with... Uh, Pastor Alcock, when the week he was there, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go start the fire. I just need to go grab the gas. And he was like, what? You can't do that. You can't throw gas in the fire. That's dangerous. And you know what? He took, me the, took the time, taught me how to light a fire and start it from scratch. And I've always ca- kept that with me throughout my life, and I'm always amazed with how much he's just come and cared for those. When I was in college, he'd come and speak whenever he was um, here from Newfoundland, when he was serving there at the time. And he showed the students that he cared for them. Do you know what he did during one chapel service where he was preaching to us and talked about how we need to be there for each other and how, as Christians, we need to be encouraging to others. And he said, every one of you take out a pen. And he gave us all his cell phone number and said, if you ever need anything, this is my number. Write it down and give me a call. And that's the type of pastor that he is. He's a pastor that cares for us and encourages us. And he has some great things lined up for the church this year, and I'm very excited to see how God's going to work. And our message today goes hand-in-hand with our theme. And I ask the question, are we a caring church? Are we caring towards one another as fellow Christians? Are we caring towards our community and to the world? And just like our fellowship at the core of it is Jesus Christ, and he is the motive for all of this. I read a story about a preacher who was running late when he pulled into a full-service gas station for gas. And this uh, young guy comes out from the office, and he had his hat pulled down low on his face and covered. And his hair was long and greasy, and his pants were so baggy, they, they kept pulling them up. And the guy spoke poorly and slowly, and it seemed to take forever for him to pump the gas. And when the, the preacher gave him his credit card, it took several minutes before he came back to say they didn't accept the card. The preacher then gave him another card, only to learn after several more minutes that it didn't work. Finally, in desperation, he asked, do you still take cash? The little guy then took several more minutes to make change and return it. The preacher was so furious when he left that he backed up, spun his tires, and he left the gas station. A few blocks away, the Holy Spirit began to work on his heart and convict him for how he treated uh, that young man with his impatience and his rudeness. And he drove back up and the, and the, uh, the young guy was too scared to come out because he didn't want him to, to yell at him again. And finally the preacher said, I'm really sorry for the way he treated you. And uh, the young man looked at him and said, It's okay, mister. Everybody treats me this way. And, you know, there's a lot of people out in the world today that might say, you know, everybody treats me this way. In a cold, lonely, and impersonal a personal world, those who take time to care for others are the exception, not the rule. But when we receive Christ, we not only enter into a relationship with Him, but with every other believer. And we are called to serve and to care for and to reach others with Jesus Christ. In Philippians two verses three and four it says Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Mark nine forty one says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. You know, everyone wants to be part of a caring church. Uh, One statement people who are searching for a church um, often have is we want a church where people really care about each other. However, caring churches are made up of caring individuals. And I believe that we need to be caring not only to make a difference for those who walk through the doors, but also in reaching our community with Jesus Christ. And as you uh, take your Bibles this morning in our passage in Luke chapter 10, we'll start reading in verse number 25. Verse number 25 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, uh, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answer right, this do and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho And fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou Was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do likewise. And uh, first thing this morning, I want you to notice in this passage the characteristics of uncaring people. There's many things that we can draw from these, uh, all the different men that we read about in this passage. Uh, And first of all, I want you to notice there was a question for Jesus. Verse 25 says, a certain lawyer. And in those days, a lawyer wasn't an attorney that we may think of today, but it was a man who was an expert in the Old Testament law. He was a religious scholar that would, his job was to interpret the Mosaic law, and he was to guide people on how to relate it to their lives. And we see that this man, he stands up, So as to confront or to tempt or the test Jesus. And if you as you read the passage, you kinda get the idea that he wasn't so much interested in what Jesus teaching as he was in tricking him. And the gospels recount numerous situations where we see these highly educated Jews um, where they would try to trap Jesus with their religious riddles and their mind games. And we see that he asks, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we see that Jesus, he answers it very masterfully. And he answers the question with a question. And he says, well, what is written in the law? He's basically saying, you're the lawyer. You're the one who studied, learned in the Mosaic law. What does Scripture say about this? Jesus also asks him, he says, How readest thou? Or how do you understand it? What does it mean to you? And we see that Christ, we saw this in the John chapter 4, in the temptation, when Satan was trying to tempt him, Jesus did the same thing. He quoted scripture. And that's what he does essentially here to the lawyer. What does the scripture say to you? And we see in verse 27 that the man responds with the only accurate answer he can give, which was the most basic commandment to love God and his neighbor. To this, Jesus responds, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And you think that would be the end of it there, but this is how we know what the lawyer was trying to do. He wasn't trying to get an answer from Jesus, but he was rather trying to trip him up. verse 29, it tells us that the man wanted to justify himself. Not giving up on the debate, he presses further into it. Almost mockingly, he asks, well, who is my neighbor then? If you want me to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? He wanted, really, he wanted the last word in this situation in trying to trip up Christ. He didn't want to be, look bad. And we see the answer of Christ, and this is where we read about the parable of the of the Samaritan man. In verses uh, 30 and onward, we see this parable. And in the parable, as we read in the passage, it said a certain men went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this was about a 16-mile stretch of road that would wind through rocky and dangerous gorges um, where there would be a lot of areas where people can hide. It was an isolated area. So it was rather known for robbers and thieves to hide where they would prey upon lonely uh, travelers when they were by themselves. And we see this happens to this man on his this trip. He fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And we see at this time that a certain priest passed by. And Jesus specifically states that he saw him. The priest noticed him. He saw him. It's not that he was walking by in a hurry and just didn't notice him. He saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. And then in verse 32, it describes a Levite who was a minister of religious worship also literally stopped and he looked at this man. He inspected him. And then we see that he passed by on the other side. These two men were unconcerned about this man and his condition. And looking at these, these two men, there's several characteristics I want you to notice of uncaring people. And first of all, I want you to notice that uncaring people are self-centered. Uncaring people are, are self-centered. You know, the priest and the Levite, they were probably busy they're traveling they're trying to get to where they were they're were probably very important men they're probably trying to get to their jobs to to help uh, the people in the temple per- perhaps their minds were absorbed in their jobs what their tasks were at the temple that day and far too often we fail to care for those who are hurting because We don't want any interruptions in our own plan. We're absorbed with what we have going on in our life. Maybe you're thinking, well, I have my own issues. Why do I need to care about what's going on in their life? I have this going on or this is happening. Why do I need to care about this person? But we see that uncaring people are self-centered. They're focused on what's going on in their own life. We see that uncaring people are too hurried. Maybe they are late for work. How often do we fail to listen to the concerns of others because we are simply too busy? This goes hand-in-hand hand with being self, self-centered. You know, I'm going to put my needs first. I don't want to be put out of what I'm doing. You know, I don't have time for this. Maybe you're even upset. You know, how, how dare they inconvenience me? You know, something happens and you see something bad happen, but you're like, I just need to get to where I'm going. And you don't want to be inconvenienced. Uncaring people are too hurried. Uncaring people are too isolated. You know, people in church are often masters of this. You know, we separate, other, separate ourselves from others by adding layers of protection so that the real us is never really seen. You know, we, may, we make small talk at church. You know, how, hi, how are you doing? You know, great, fine. But... You actually don't share people with how you're doing or maybe you ask someone, you know, how are you doing? But realistically, you're just saying, I hope they say I'm good because I don't really care. I don't want to find out what's going on because I just want to stick to what I know. I just, you're just too isolated. You're afraid of getting involved with others lives. You don't want to invest in someone else's lives. You know, maybe it's too awkward for me to meet a new person, so I'll just pretend that I didn't notice them or I don't want to try to put myself into this uh, other group of people or I'm just too scared because I just want to stick to what I know. I want to stay with who I know. And we see that uncaring people are too isolated. Uncaring people think someone else will help. You know, I, reading this parable, you hope that the priest and the Levite weren't that callous, but at least thought that someone else would help. We're hoping that they thought, oh, someone else is going to come up who has time or can help them. But we see that uncaring people think someone else will help. Unfortunately, when some folks hear about a need or see a need, they automatically think that, oh, someone else will take care of it or someone else should do this. Or that's pastor's job or this is so-and-so's job. Our church is deeply saddened by the passing of an irreplaceable member, someone else. For all these years, he did far more than any other church member. Whenever leadership was mentioned, someone else was looked to for inspiration and achievement. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, or a meeting to attend, everybody always turned to someone else. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the largest contributor to the church, Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Although we are grieved by the loss of someone else, his death comes as no big surprise. He was far too overworked and continually stretched too thin. In fact, we may have contributed to his death by expecting too much out of someone else. He left a wonderful example to follow, but it appears there is nobody willing to fill in the shoes of someone else. I shudder to think what will happen to our church since we can no longer depend on someone else. You now, how often do we depend on someone else to get the job done or to fill the need? I read of a uh, uh, article or a news story that happened years ago. It says, for more than half an hour, 38 respectable law-abiding citizens in queens watched and and heard a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Hugh Gardens. Twice their chatter and the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off. Each time he returned, sought her out and stabbed her again. Not one person called the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman was dead, but not one person tried to assist her. Studies were done after this happened and There's something called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect is a social, psychological phenomenon that refers to cases where individuals do not offer any means of help in an emergency situation to the victim when other people are present. The probability of help has in the past been thought to be inversely related to the number of bystanders. In other words, the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely it is that any one of them will help. And I'm afraid that in our churches today, we're suffering from the bystander effect. You know, we're living in a real-life crisis or emergency in our world today, and we're, we see many people coming to church and think someone else will take care of the problem. While in reality, people are dying and going to a Christless eternity. You know, we're in a crisis God's people are struggling. They're turning away from Christ. And we have that bystander effect because we're just saying, well, someone else is going to take care of it. Someone else is going to meet the need. Uncaring people think that the problem will solve itself. They think that someone else will help. But as Christians here today, we need to step up. We need to find the needs and fulfill them. We need to... Act on those. We need to act when the Holy Spirit is prompting us, saying, you should go talk to that person. Or do you see that visitor that just walked in? Go greet them. Go introduce yourself. Ask someone how they're doing. Care for them. Invest in their lives. Mentor that young person. We need to care for people. I want you to notice as well, uncaring people are often judgmental. They're often judgmental towards other people that they see. Maybe they say something like, if they had done what was right to begin with, they wouldn't be in this situation right now. Or maybe something like, he made his bed, let him lie in it. Have you ever heard someone say that? When they see someone in a situation, maybe it's a person begging for money. Maybe it's just someone that's hurt because of something irresponsible they did in their life. Uncaring people are often judgmental. My uh, dad told me the story of when he was a young boy. Um, They were walking downtown. My dad, my family's from Guyana. And they were walking downtown, and he saw a man begging for money. He had a cup, and he was blind, and he was begging for money. And he reached in his pocket, he had a penny, and he dropped that penny in the cup. And his aunt was with him at the time, and his aunt saw him. And his aunt was mad. She said, you need to go get that money back from him because the reason that he's blind today is because he's sinned in his life and God's punishing him. And she was judgmental towards that beggar and made my dad go back and get that penny back from that beggar. And I can't imagine how you would do that to someone. But the interesting thing that I found was later in my aunt's life. And, you know, to be honest, she had done some terrible things in her life. And in her later years, she ended up going blind. And I find that interesting because the Bible speaks a thing like that. In Matthew 7, it says, "'Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again.'" And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine own, out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of, the, out of thy brother's eye. And that story that I told you about my aunt, it was such a truth to this, where with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Do we want to be judging people? How are we judging other people, especially those in need? Don't judge someone and not offer help. Don't judge someone who's doing right because you're thinking, well, what is their motives? You know, I've, I know what they've done in the past and we're judgmental towards them. But how should we judge? How should we measure? How do we want judgment to be measured out to us? And I believe everyone here would say that we want it in grace. We want people to be graceful towards us. In Ephesians 2, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, And you you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all had had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any men should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk, in them wherefore remember that ye being in time past gentiles in the flesh for are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus ye are sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood Of Christ, and oftentimes we forget where we once were. We were without hope. We were aliens. We were separated from God. We were living in the flesh. And often, when we fail to remember where we came from, we'll be judgmental towards other people. Where the Bible tells us that God was gracious to us, and by by faith we are saved through grace because God showed us grace, and we want to judge without grace. But uncaring people are judgmental. If we're going to help people, we want to show grace to people in situations where they're not doing well, where people are in need. We don't want to judge people without the grace of God that we had in our lives. We are all only sinners saved by grace. You know, we'd like to think that we're caring people and unlike the priest and unlike the Levite, We think, you know, we're not like them. You know, I'm I'm waiting for the Samaritan part because I'm like that. But if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us were self-centered this week? I bet each and every one of us at one point were self-centered this week. How many of us this week were too busy to stop and to help someone in need? Maybe someone that just needed to talk, someone that needed a hand with something, How many of us were too isolated this week? You know, I don't really care what they're going through. I just need to worry about me. How many of us saw a need this week or heard of a need and you just thought, well, I can't do it, so maybe someone else will take care of that? How many of us were judgmental towards someone this week? And if we're honest, we probably did a lot of these things. So as we as we reflect on these characteristics of uncaring people, Where are we struggling in our life? What do we need to to get past in our lives in order to help other people? But not only do I want you to notice the characteristics of uncaring people, but I want you to notice characteristics of caring people. In verse 33 of our passage, we see a certain Samaritan enters into the story. And there's many things that we can draw, once again, from the Samaritan and first of all, I want you to notice that caring people put aside prejudice. Caring people put aside prejudice. Jesus tells us that this third man comes down the road was a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans, what they were, were half-breed Jews. They were a mixed blood. And because of that mixed blood, Jews hated Samaritans. And the feeling of hatred was often mutual between the two types of people, But the fact that the wounded man was Jewish didn't bother the Samaritan at all. And you know, when someone is hurting, a caring person is going to put aside his prejudice to take care of that person, to help them with their need. You know, Jesus died for all men regardless of race, color, social, or economical standards. And like it or not, many of us still have some prejudice in our lives and when we see certain people and we say oh they would never get saved we look at them and say do i even bother talking to them we see someone who's covered in tattoos we see someone's homeless maybe we see someone who a drug addict and we say you know they're never going to get saved or judgmental towards them i've uh, i've been working with a guy um And his name's Sean. And he was a drug addict for 16 years of his life. Very heavily into drugs. And, you know, bottom of the barrel, just him telling me the stories. And it's amazing to see where he was. And I wonder if I had saw someone in that situation, would I be willing to try to help them? Would I be willing to try to share Christ with them? And it's amazing how God is working in his life. Even before I met him, and he hit rock bottom, and he tried to get help, and God is revealing himself to this man from the situation that he was in, and God's really showing himself to him, and he's so close to being saved. But why is it that there's other nonprofit organizations that are so willing to help these people that are in need, people that are struggling, people that are without hope like we once were? These people were, were without hope. Yet still, they're just ready. They're looking for that hope. They're looking for a change. They're looking for someone that can help them. And it's amazing, when he went to seek help from a secular organization, they told him, one of the steps is, you cannot do this by yourself. You need to turn to something that is higher than you. Something that is more than what is in your life. And they're essentially leading him to Christ through their steps by saying, you need someone. You need hope in something else that is not yourself. And as caring people, we need to put our prejudices aside when we see people in these situations in their life and try to help them. In Luke 5, the Bible says in verse 29, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we need to remember that Jesus died for sinners, just like each and every one of us once were and still are. That's what everyone hears today, and we often forget that. But someone cared enough for us at one point and shared the gospel with us. And you look at different people, you think, well, what, what about the atheists? No, atheists hate us. Have you ever talked to an atheist? They go out of their way to try to put us down. They absolutely hate us. But you know what? God loves them. You look at different people in society, you think about uh, people with a liberal mindset, They're telling us, you know, you're brainwashing your kids. You can't teach them that. You can't take them to church. You need to let them choose what they are. You know, our own prime minister has told us we're not in line with society. You know, how far is that going to go years down the road? If we're not in line with society now, what's going to happen five, ten years down the road from now? But you know what? Those people, God still loves them. You think about different religions. You think about Islam. You know They hate us. They persecute Christians. You look at the persecution that's going on around the world. You look at places like India and Southeast Asia or, or Sri Lanka. There's places where they're persecuting Christians that you don't even hear of. People being chased out and hiding and being killed for believing what they do. But you know what? God loves them. And far too often we look at these false religions and we just say, you know what, I don't want to share the gospel with them. They don't even believe what we believe. They don't even like us. They hate us. But we need to share the gospel with those that have been blinded by Satan's lies. I remember one distinct time where I was door knocking in college and there was this lady who came to the door and she was a Hindu lady and we told her the gospel and she had never heard the gospel. And she goes you're telling me that your God came down to earth to die for us? She goes, I've never heard about one of my gods coming here to help one of us. No, she didn't have a concept of God loving them. And she, I just remember how surreal it was. She was just like, she was so amazed by the love of God. And she goes, you mean to tell me if a man goes and robs another man, that God forgives him and that he can be saved? And I was able to share the gospel and say, everyone is able to be saved. But she was blinded by Satan. These false religions are telling people that whatever they have, but they don't know what God is. They don't know what the love of God is and they need someone to share that with them. But we can't judge people based on that. We can't be prejudiced towards them and not share God with them. You know, don't let your prejudice build walls. You know, when you're dealing with the unsaved, especially someone who's a, a skeptic, You're going to do one of two things when you talk to them. You're either going to build up a wall to make it harder for them to accept Christ, or you're going to be taking out those bricks one at a time, making it easier and trying to reach them, softening their heart. Just because someone rejects the gospel doesn't mean we should burn a bridge with them or for someone else. You know, the Bible tells us that I in uh, Corinthians, Paul says, I have planted a polis water, but God gave the increase. Just because you planted a seed in someone's life, doesn't mean you're going to see fruit right away. Maybe someone else needs to come and water. And in the end, it's going to be God who gives the increase. I have a cousin who's a a very outspoken atheist. And the Christians that she's interacted with, interacted in her life, have built up a wall rather than tearing it down by saying some very hurtful things to her, by condemning her, by looking down on her. And those people... Instead of planting, let someone else water, they've essentially planted and stomped on that seed and just burnt the bridge. And making it harder for other people to water that and to try to reach them. So as caring people, we need to put aside prejudice that we have in our life when trying to reach this world with Christ. I want you to notice as well, caring people notice others' pain. Caring people notice others' pain. Notice in verse 33, it says that the Samaritan, when he says he came where he was and he saw him. Unlike the priests and the Levite, it seems that he came over to inspect the man. He didn't just glance, but he rather took notice of this hurt man. Imagine the Samaritan carefully making his way down this desolate road, knowing that he needs to walk out for thieves and robbers, looking over his shoulder, but completely disregarding his own safety, he goes over to see what had happened to this man that he found half dead and naked. The Samaritan is an example to us in that he took time to see what was wrong. Too often we're like the priest. We're so caught up in our own plans and we don't even notice when someone else is hurting. Or maybe we're like the Levite just to come take a look. Just being nosy, trying to get the scoop. Have you ever seen people do that? Something's going on, someone's hurt, there's a need there, but they just want to, what's going on? They just want to hear what's happening. Trying to get the gossip. Caring for those who are hurting isn't always the easiest thing, but as Christians we need to care. So often is our easiest inroad into someone's life who is unsaved is the hard times in their lives. Someone who might otherwise be close to the gospel in a crisis situation, they'll be open to hearing the gospel of Christ. So we need to notice and care for the pain of others. Caring people take time to be compassionate. In uh, verse 33 as well, we see that the Samaritan had compassion. And it's amazing because compassion is literally the same compassion that Jesus Christ had on the multitudes. Compassion literally means a yearning within, a deep yearning within side of you. When Jesus saw multitudes, he was moved with compassion in Matthew 9. When he saw the blind in Matthew 20, he was moved with compassion. When he saw the leopard, he was moved with compassion. When he saw the widow who was weeping, he was moved with compassion. And that was the same compassion that we see in the Samaritan. God's people need compassion today. A deep empathy for others. Are we willing to help the wife that's lost her husband? The dad who's lost his job? The single mother? The sick? The shut-ins? As a Christian today, are you ex- exercising compassion in your life? We have a ministry here, the care home. And when you go to the care home ministry, there's so many people there that just want someone to care for them. And over the years, when I used to be at uh, VIBC and helping at care home, there's still some of those same people there today that just need someone to talk to. You know, they, they may not look like they're interested and involved, but they just need someone to care. There was a guy there years ago that he would always show up and leave, but... I was like, is he even getting anything we're saying? Does he care about this? I remember the one day that we sang Jesus Loves Me. He sat in the back and he signed Jesus Loves Me. Or I think about the lady who um, is there. She doesn't take a songbook and she lies there. And you're just kind of like, is she listening? Is she sleeping? And when you sing those songs and you look at her, she's mouthing the words. Any of the songs that she remembers, you see her singing along with those songs. Or even last week, we had a lady that was there. It was her birthday the Saturday before and everyone was leaving. We were talking with her, and uh, one of the workers came and says, you know, are you ready to go? And she goes, no, just leave me here. I want to see what's going on. She just wanted to be around people. She just wanted to see people talking. She just wanted people to care for her. Are we exercising compassion? Something as simple as listening and spending time with them. Uh, we have some friends that we were, got close to, and we got to know their parents. We called them Oma and Opa. And... Um, Opa was older, and to be honest, he was kind of grumpy a lot. But you know what? He just wanted someone to talk to. He wanted people to listen to him. And um, I would go over, and we'd take them out just the Swish LA and we'd have a lunch with them and talk with them and just listen to them. They want to tell you stories, and you can learn from them. And that's all they needed. And I remember the last time we took them out, and I'd opened the door for him, I was letting him out, and he said, you know what? Can I have a hug? And I found that so... it it kind of caught me for a loop because this was Opa who was always strong and often grumpy, but he was so touched that we cared for him that he said, can I have a hug? He was so touched because we care for him. Are we showing compassion today? And last of all, I want you to notice this morning that caring people get involved. Caring people get involved. We see that the Samaritan went to him. He didn't pass by like the rest of them. He went to him. And he chose to involve himself in his life. We see he bound up his wounds by pouring in oil and wine. Um, We see that the Samaritan set him on his own animal. You know, we assume that he was traveling by donkey. But instead of riding, he allowed this Jew, his racial enemy, to ride on the donkey as he walked next to him and took care of him. The Samaritan brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know, there was no hospitals in those days. There was no emergency rooms. There was no ambulance, 911, paramedics to come and help. There was no place to drop a victim off. So we see that the Samaritan invested. He rented a room in an inn. He cared for the man as best as he could. And in our culture where it's so easily to be isolated, it's easy to look the other way when we see a homeless person with a sign or it's easy to refer a person who's in need to someone else and say, you know, just go, go go, to them for help, or I'll give you this number. It's easy to forget to pray for or to call or to visit a fellow church member or a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker, someone who's going through a difficult time. But Jesus got involved in the lives of people. We see that throughout his ministry. He got involved in the lives of people. And we see that the next day when the Samaritan got ready to leave, he paid the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Not only did he care for the men, but he paid for the bill. He invested. He gave. You know, how much is a soul worth to us? How much is a soul worth to God? You know, a soul is invaluable. That's why in church, like when Pastor Alcock's trying to Think of ways to be compassionate and to reach people. We're going to do things like a water ministry where we're going to go and spend money and try to reach people. Or we think about the help program that's run every summer that the teens go to. What do they do? Love works. And we take time and money and we give people a free popsicle. It's something small, but it's a gesture that's going to show compassion to show people that we care. Are you willing to invest? Are you willing to get involved? What's the last time that you cared and invested in someone's life? When's the last time you made a difference? Maybe like that gas attendant that we talked about at the very beginning? A co worker, a schoolmate who just needs someone to care. And we see that Jesus in verse thirty six and thirty seven, he asks an easy question. And in finishing this parable, Jesus turned to the lawyer and asked, Which now of these three thinkest thou? was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And the lawyer answered and he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus responded and said, then said Jesus unto him, go and do likewise. And if we want Jesus' blessing in our lives and we want to be a caring church, we must go and do likewise. So today, do you care? Am I investing in those around me? Those in the church, in reaching this community? Am I witnessing, setting all prejudice aside? How are we as a church? You know, in order for us to be a caring church, we need to be caring as individuals. How involved are you? You know, we had that Workers Sunday with uh, Pastor Leda, all the different events that we're going to be doing as far as reaching the community with Christ. Are you going to get involved? What about Care Home? What about soul winning? What about VBS? What about just praying? What about something as simple as preparing the tracts in the John and Romans? Are you caring? And maybe today, you don't know Christ. You've never had someone care for you. But let me tell you that Christ cares for you today. It doesn't matter where you are in life, your past, your sin, your race, your language, whatever situation you're in, Christ Cares for you. In uh, John chapter 4, we see the story of Jesus where he leaves and he's going to Galilee. And he says, I need to go to Samaria. You know, he put his prejudice aside. He says, I'm going to cut through Samaria where people usually go around because they hate them. But I'm going to go there. And he had compassion. And he met a woman at the well. And you know that woman at the well, she was living in sin. She had many husbands. And yet still God cared for her and we see that she was saved and we see that many of the samaritans of that city believed because of that woman who accepted christ he gave her that living water and you can drink of that living water today where you can know that one day you can go to heaven when you die and just like that woman it doesn't matter about your past it doesn't matter about your present situation it doesn't matter about you going and try to line up all everything up in your life God cares for you today, and he wants you to be saved today. So I ask you, you know your heart, you know the need. Are you uncaring today in your life? Or what areas do we need to be carrying in in our lives? What's holding you back? Maybe you need to pray for the church today, and the individuals that we make a caring church, that we have that unity in our fellowship, and that we're reaching this community with Jesus Christ. And maybe today you need to be saved, and I trust that you will come and accept us and allow us to show you from God's Word how you can be saved today.